You're listening to Sportsnet Today on the official home of your Calgary Flames. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hour two of Sportsnet Today on the air. That's right. I haven't been let go during the commercial break. My name is Peter Klein. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in today. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at Primetime Klein. Uh, and if you like this, just think of how much fun I'd be if I could swear. Uh, I have a podcast called Couch Potato Diary. Uh, that comes out every day. I like to get my cheap plugs in. Um, all right. It is a Flames game day here today. Brought to you by South Point Toyota. Pre-game with Pat Steinberg is at 6. Puck drop is at 7 o'clock with Derek Wills and Megan Mickelson as the Flames get ready for a tilt with the St. Louis Blues. Uh, we previewed that with Alex Ferrario in owl, uh, hour number one. If uh, Cam could get his stuff together, uh, the podcast will be up momentarily. Um, but yeah, it'll be up there pretty soon. So you can check that out. And uh, our conversation about the Flames and the Blues, uh, a little bit on the Shane Pinto situation and the Stampeders report, all of that in hour one podcast will be available in a matter of moments. We are coming to you from the DL Basement Systems downtown studio, Cracked Foundation, Boeing Foundation Walls. We have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Uh, we're also going to chat with Adnan Verk coming up uh, in about half an hour's time as uh, the World Series is set. It is the Rangers taking on the Diamondbacks. Lots of questions about that one. Um, <laughs> some of those questions are, Okay, who are any of these people? Uh, so we'll try to figure all of that out. Your texts, always welcome. 960-960. You guys are all way too nice to me on this text line uh, with people saying they are stoked to have me back. Um, it, it's been a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but some explaining to the producers in the other room. Yes, this is how I got concussion chasing cats. Uh, yeah, that's when I shot a quad off of a cliff in Mexico. You know, just getting people caught up on the hits as we, we get this going. But uh, good start to the season for the Wranglers. 3-0-1 to kick off the campaign. Um, a great start for Connor Zari once again. And we're going to be seeing a little Wranglers representation in the lineup tonight as Ilya Solovyov, he said very confidently, um, is expected to get the start as he was called up uh, from the American Hockey League earlier today. Just providing a, a bit of life, I think. Uh, while Gilbert has been all right, Osterley has been a little eh, um, and I don't think either of them have been, with all due respect, I don't know if either of them have been to the point where it's like, oh man, you couldn't possibly take them out. So interested to see what Solovyov can bring to this lineup this evening. And who knows what else you see from the Wranglers this year. Um, like I said, Connor Zari is off to an amazing start with eight points in his first four games. Um, Adam Klapka, who felt like he was right on the bubble to make this team, clearly has not taken his demotion uh, all that terribly as he had seven points in the first four games this year. So you, you wonder, not that, once again, I don't want to get to the, the same part where, where we were last year where everyone was calling on Poirier or Wolf or whoever to come in and save the season. I don't want that from a Flames perspective, but maybe there is a bit more of an infusion of youth as this season goes along. If some of those players down in the American hockey league are going to, to continue to step up in the ways that they have. So uh, interested to get, uh, <laughs> I feel weird. Hey, Brett, uh, thanks for coming on. Let me ask about your teammates. Uh, but Brett Sutter has obviously seen a, a whole lot in the world of the American hockey league. So interested and uh, excited to chat with him in a few moments. Um, it was a good conversation with Alex Ferrario last segment talking about the similarities between these two teams. Because, yeah, you look at the, this Blues roster and 
should probably be better than where the Blues are at right now. St. Louis 2-2-1, so five points in the first five games of this season, minus four goal differential, which is wild because they've only allowed 15 goals so far this year. Um, like it's the, the blues have played in a lot of low event games. It seems like with 11 and 15 where the flames are at 17 and 26 now in two extra games. But, um, you, you look at this blues team, it feels like it should be better. Like I, I thought Cairo and Thomas were right on the verge of breaking through Buchnevich is a player who I think would solve a lot for the flames. Uh, I think that this is a, a very good offensive player on the the St. Louis Blues guy who has scored 30 before in his first year with the Blues and just felt like he was scratching the surface with what he did with the Rangers. He has 56 goals in two seasons with St. Louis and then uh, one so far this year. If things start to fall off for the Blues, uh, that would be a player that from a Calgary perspective, that's one of those finishers that this team has been lacking. Um, That that would be a, a piece that I've been calling for from the Flames for a couple of years. But again, if I've noticed, other teams have noticed, and I would imagine the Blues would be among those other teams. So we'll see what uh, what transpires with the, this Blues squad. But yeah, you, you look at Buchnevich, uh, Kairou and Thomas, um, Braden Shen is someone who has really come on at uh, for a while. I wonder what he is doing, because it, it feels like it's been very quiet around him. Yeah, one point in five games so far this year after back-to-back 20-goal campaigns and three 20-goal seasons in the last four years. So... The names are there. Defensively, you know them. Falk, Krug, Pareko, Letty, Scandella, Bertuzzo. Uh, you know Bennington in goal, who apparently has been lighting the world on fire for the Blues. So all the pieces are there for this St. Louis team to get back to at least contending for a playoff spot in a relatively competitive Central Division, but one that I, I don't think the third seed in the Central is just locked away. You would imagine Colorado and Dallas are 1-2, but then after that, the Blues, the Jets, the Preds, I guess the Wild are probably quite a bit better than these two teams, he says, while just listing off teams in the Central Division. But the, the Blues should be in contention for at least um, at least a wild card spot this year. But again, a slow start to the season for them. We'll see if they can get it back on track. Hopefully, from a Calgary perspective, we are hoping to, uh, to see them struggle at least a little bit more uh, so far this season. For uh, for them and get the the flames back on track. Couple more texts nine six zero nine six zero. Send Klein outside again to talk to the people. Epic show moment. Uh, yeah, if you want to hear what it sounds like to to have someone go through like a whole lot of social anxiety all at the same time, uh, that was me when we got the great idea to go out and like. On the one hand. We're giving out a $50 gas card. So that was great. We're not doing that now. That This is going back in time. We were doing that then. Um, the, the, the idea was great. People want gas. Uh, free stuff is great. The issue was we were trying to give it to people who were coming off of the train. Um, who like A lot of them inherently wouldn't need such a thing given the mode of transportation they literally just took. Um, so it was me who's a little socially awkward anyway, trying to go out there and give uh, a gas card to people who didn't want it at all. Uh, and it was an absolute disaster, but turned into like six different drops on shows that I was on for years and years after that. So yeah, it's great uh, reliving all of these things. And as Matt and Cochran said, uh, speedy recovery to Poria. Yeah. He felt like he was someone who honestly might've been getting this call up today. Um, if not for an injury, um, hopefully he recovers quickly and is able to get back at it as soon as possible. But that, that is a tough one there. But from a Calgary perspective, you like all of a sudden a few of the pieces down with the Wranglers. Like I, I think Zari 
could be knocking on the door here this season. Eight points in, in four games. Uh, I mentioned Klapka before. We'll, we'll see what the recovery is like for, for Poirier. Um, Pospisil feels like he's kind of been close, but not super close for a, a while now. But th there's a few pieces down there that you like. And um, we've talked about Justin Wolf before. Obviously, it's just completely fallen off. A goals against average of 327 and only a 910 save percentage. Run him out of town. Uh, no, he's obviously going to be fine. And uh, one of the future spots for the, this flame squad between the pipes. But uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, Corey Pronman from The Athletic did a what does this team look like in five years story. And, and you see it all laid out. And while the pieces here are nice, um, like I said, like I like Zari, Klapka, Poirier. Uh, kind of possible and a few other ones as well. Uh, and obviously Wolf, there still isn't that like superstar. Like the, the first line five years from now on the, this piece, I would recommend going in and reading it from the athletic. Uh, but the first line is Huberto XX. And that is something that has always been a, a thing here with, with this flames and flames team and has been for quite a while is that they're pretty good at filling out like middle six stuff, right? Like Manjapani, um, although the, it feels like the ceiling could be maybe a little bit higher there, but Manjapani, Dubey, th those sorts of guys um, coming in and being able to, to take this team up there. But what's there for the, the higher level talent? Hopefully some of these guys can break through in that way. But yeah, there, there's a few pieces that you like that could be making their way from the A to here so far uh, this season. Um once again, Flames game day tonight. It is a seven o'clock start. The Flames taking on the St. Louis Blues back here at the Dome, hoping for a lot of energy from the, the Flames tonight as they look to get back on track, taking on this uh, Blues team that also is looking for a lot of energy tonight and looking to get back on track. Is that him? I don't know if my talk back worked and I just talked that into the microphone. Uh, okay, so uh, we will continue on here. Uh, more texts here at 960-960. We have a suggestion for what the lines could be tonight or what the, this person wants the lines to be. Lindholm, Huberto, and Kadri on the top line. Just put them all on one line and hope they all figure it out. Uh, Backlund, Coleman, Manjapani, Dubé, Coronado, Sharon Govich, and Dewar, Ruzichka, and Greer. Uh, don't hate that. I, I do like back on Coleman and Japani absolutely needs to stick together uh, for another one. They were the flames unquestioned best line um, last game uh, against the Rangers, specifically in that third period where they were getting going a little bit. Dubé Coronado and Sharon Govich is a, an interesting one. I like that Sharon Govich is getting a, a little bit more look higher up in the lineup after centering the, the fourth line for the first few games of the season. But that, that kind of feels like, all the kids in one spot and Dubé is beyond kid at this point, but for, for Calgary, you would like to see a, a bit more of a veteran distributor distributor in there. I, I feel like Coronado and Sharon Govich are maybe a bit too similar to, to put on the same line without having like the idea of a Huberto or someone with them to distribute things a little bit. I don't know if Dubé is, is that it could be interesting uh, with, with uh, as this texter said, some potential with some energy there, but I, I would like to see, Someone a, a bit more playmaker e than Dubé with those guys. And then Dura Rizichka and Greer. It's like, yeah, just go out in there and crash into things. Happy that Rizichka seems like he's going to be all right after uh, what looked like a, a scary looking injury the other night. Uh, but he was back skating with the team today um, as the, the Flames get ready for a matchup with the St. Louis Blues that is coming up this evening. Uh, between the pipes, I would imagine it, it's Markstrom. It, it's interesting because you hear this a couple of times. What when you hear talk from 
um, whether it's the, the national people or it is um, Alex, who we had on in the first hour, talking about how, oh, well, Markstrom ha- has struggled this year. And like you, you look at the numbers and it's like, well, it's tough to argue. And I'm not saying like, well, all these guys should be watching every save that Jacob Markstrom has made. It just, it feels different with Markstrom, right? Like the, the numbers aren't necessarily backing it up. Um, that one bad goal against the, the Rangers in the first game, or sorry, in the last game is a really difficult one to have when things do seem to be spiraling. You'd like your goalie to make those saves, but it feels like he has kept them in more games, excuse me, than he has taken them out of games this year. And that was the exact opposite a year ago. So while the numbers aren't there, I do feel like his game has improved coming into the season and and we're kind of getting him back to where we thought he would be coming off of the the season a couple of years ago going into to last year. So I, I feel like the numbers are a little deceiving with Jacob Markstrom in that sense. And I I wonder if we're, we're going to start to just see a couple of heaters here from Markstrom to just kind of balance that out. Because again, you hear all of these, oh, well, Calgary ha- has kind of struggled between the pipes this year. And you look at it and yeah, they've allowed 26 goals this season, which is second most in the Western Conference. And that means third most in the league. Uh, Carolina has allowed the most goals at 33, which I would have absolutely lost money on coming into the year. Now, the Flames have played more games than other teams, blah, 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 blah. But you, you see 26 goals allowed this season for the Flames in, in seven games. And you think, okay, well, th- this has not gone well for Jacob Markstrom for the second year in a row. And like I said, I just don't see that. I, I feel like he has been someone who has elevated his game. And when we asked for positives yesterday, the the talk was like, well, Markstrom. And yeah, I feel like he has been one of the bright spots for the Flames so far this year. Uh, Where are we here? Ah, Aaron texting in. Couldn't agree more about Markstrom. Talking a bit more about one of the conversations we had yesterday, talking about what are you kind of locking this team into going forward? Flames have some ugly contracts here, but um, signing Lindholm and Hannafin for big money would handcuff this team even more. It, it is an interesting time here for Calgary because you've had a couple of players obviously want to, you know, not be here anymore, which didn't feel great. But now all of a sudden, okay, well, we have some good players who want to stay. And the thought is, okay, we can, uh, should we? It is uh, an interesting conversation. And it feels like, again, like the, the the similarities between the Flames and the Blues are quite interesting when you look at what St. Louis has uh, in terms of like, they have some big contracts on the books. I would say they have more long-term money locked in than Calgary. Just looking at the 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 salary cap page here, like Cairo is locked in through 30-31. Uh, same thing for Thomas. Shen is signed to 27-28. It's two more years for Buchnevich, three more years for Saad and Hayes. And on the blue line, this is where they're really different because Calgary has barely any money tied into to the blue line long-term. Uh, Falk and Krug are signed through 26-27, and Pareko was locked in at 6.5 until 29-30, with Letty signed through uh, the 25-26 season. So you have the, the Blues now. I, I asked before with Alex, could this be a team that kind of tears things down a little bit? A, almost everyone I just mentioned has a no trade or no move. Uh, the, the no trade and no moves on this team are... Shen, Buchnevich, um, Saad, Hayes, Falk, Krug, Pareko, Letty, and Marco Scandella all have 
at least modified no trade clauses. So it, it feels like they are kind of where the flames could end up where maybe they're stuck in the middle. Could it be a, a bit more um, logical, I guess, to, to maybe try to tear this thing down a little bit, build more around Caillou, uh, Cairo and, and Thomas with, with some younger players and hope that it all kind of peaks at the same time. Yeah, but you're locked into to some of these long-term contracts. So you're trying to, make the best of it. That feels like where the, the flames could go. And again, like all of those contracts just on the face of them seem fine. You know, like, um, uh, Kyrou and Thomas, I think the world of, so we'll, we'll kind of exclude them from these conversations, but you have a, a Shen locked in through 27, 28 at 6.5. It seems like a reasonable number, maybe a little bit longer than you'd like for a guy who's now 32 years old, which makes me feel very old. Um, but, maybe a bit too much term on that, but overall, those are fine. The default contract, I don't think that's killing you. Krug, maybe you'd like him to be a bit better, but that's not killing you. Like, they don't have, you look at all of these, that there isn't a wild overpay or anything like that, but then you look at the sum of the parts, it's, ah, not quite good enough, is it? And that feels like the concern here in Calgary, where, yes, signing Hannafin long-term, You'd rather do that than not when you have a player of the, the caliber of Hannafin that is at the level he is at and still has potential to go higher. Elias Lindholm, very good two-way center. You would like to have that guy on your team rather than not, but do you want him in a, at, at that number and do you want this team locked in? Because you do those moves, all of a sudden, you're kind of just are where you are. So there, there's some bigger bigger picture things going on here with this Flames team, obviously, over the, the next little while. A uh, couple up more texts at 960-960. Uh, this one also from Aaron. The difference between Calgary and St. Louis is Cairo and Thomas are young with tons of upside. Thomas could be a future captain for them. Who do the Flames have with that same upside? That that same upside is definitely where the, the lacking is what with this Flames group. Like there are a couple of young pieces that you like, right? Like Coronado um, has shown everything you would want for the first few games uh, of this year. Manjapani has been great. I can't talk him up uh, enough so far uh, with what you've seen from him. And again, like Rasmus Anderson isn't old off in that blue line. And I think he has number one potential, but no, you're right. Like, I don't know if any of them have that upside that uh, a Cairo or, or a Thomas have. So that could be a difference there, but I... Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with what that texter is saying. Keep the text coming at 960-960. It's a busy night in the NHL after just one game last night, which allowed us to enjoy some NBA. Uh, when a guest doesn't call, we, we do get to spend at least a couple minutes talking about basketball. Uh, I'll bring in Cam, who I made fun of earlier, but now I'm <laughs> calling to, to to help fill some airtime. Uh, were you able to watch any of the Raptors-Timberwolves game last night? Cam? I was able to watch a bit of it. Not the whole thing, okay. but from what I did see, and I watched most of the recap, I was really impressed. Mm -hmm. um, Dennis Schroeder looked really good. Yeah. Um, obviously, there were some few mistakes, but this new kind of brand of basketball being brought in by the coach of whose last name I can't remember how to pronounce, I'm impressed with it. And you see the videos of them afterward in the locker room. He's going around, he's dancing, you're hearing all these these great words coming up from players about, you know, we're, we're texting him often. Uh, he's a really great guy. I'm excited to see this new brand of Ra Raptors basketball. I was very impressed last night. Yeah, I, I was too. Um, immaculate vibes. Immaculate vibes around this team right now. Great to see. The, a couple of things that I liked. Um, defensively, they were really strong again, which was always going to be uh, a hallmark of this team. 
in transition, they were lethal last night. A- any miss Minnesota had, the Raptors were, were able to, to turn it up court and go with it. I- I'm with you. I like Schroeder a lot. He brings a pace at the point guard spot that the Raptors haven't had since TJ Ford, maybe, um, which is going back a ways. They, they just uh, all due credit to, to Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, but playing with a ton of pace was not necessarily a strength of either of those guys. So I think he fits what they might be trying to do in transition. The half court still bogs down a little bit that this is wildly oversimplifying, but I I think it is true with what we saw last night. The Raptors just started hitting shots like they were creating some open looks from three in the first half and missing them. And then they started going in in the second half and all of a sudden, Oh, Hey, that looks better. It, it really is. And I know a lot of NBA analysts kind of get a little frustrated with um, it's just a make or miss league, but th- th- it really was just a make or miss game last night for the, the flames or sorry for the, the Raptors um, as they get off the, get off to a great start um, Calgary or sorry, Toronto taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves with the win. So yeah, it's, it's funny how just hitting open shots all of a sudden makes things go a little bit better. And yes, yeah, someone's saying I was impressed with uh, Siakam's three from Winkler. Uh, always love Matty Devlin throwing in some, um, throwing in some Canadian references there. Uh, a couple more texts, nine, six, zero, nine, six, zero. If you go through Huberto's career highlights, you see a bit of him using teammates sticks as practice bumpers as they're driving the net. Not many guys on the team drive the net, which would be a problem even without Huberto. Who is the best of the team at net driving? Uh, Coleman and Dubé. That is from Dylan. Coleman would be good at that. I, I think Manjapani is really good at that as well. He just, he doesn't look at, like someone who would necessarily go into those areas because of the the stature, but he is someone who does that pretty well as well. So that that's an interesting point that maybe we're just thinking about this too in the wrong way where you just think, oh yeah, he can just be elite setup guy for the great shot for Lindholm or for a Coronado or for a Sharon Govich. Um, instead, maybe you need one of those big net front guys or someone driving the net like a, a Manjapani, like a Dubé or, or like a Coleman. To, to get in there. So I, I think that that's a, I think that's an astute observation from Dylan as this team tries to figure out the line combinations and it's tricky for coach Huska to, to figure out. Cause on the one hand last year, I thought they changed the lines too early and kind of messed with the chemistry for a large chunk of the season. But at the same time, uh, you want to have, you want to make sure things are working. And if it's not working, you want to be able to change it. So it's a, it's an interesting balancing act that the, the flames have to tightrope walk coming up uh, over the next few games, but uh, it is the flames and the blues coming up tonight. It is a seven o'clock puck drop here on Sportsnet 960. The fan we shall break when we come back. I am so excited for this. We're going to talk to Adnan Verk. He is going to scold me about the lack of movies that I have seen. And we're going to talk some baseball coming up here to close out a Thursday on Sportsnet today on Sportsnet 960. The fan. It's a Flames game day as Calgary tries to get back on track against the St. Louis Blues tonight. Uh, pre-game is at 6, puck drop is at 7 here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. My name is Peter Klein coming to you from the DL Basement Systems downtown studio. And I am so excited to go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline and chat with uh, our next guest, Hey, do you like any sport? He's probably covered it. It's Adnan Verk. Um, Adnan, how are you today, sir? 
I'm great, Peter. How you guys doing? Doing very well. Thank you very much. Um, getting ready for a World Series here that we all saw coming at the beginning of the year. We were merely killing time until the Rangers and the Diamondbacks were going to, to face off in this World Series. Uh, this is quite the the random matchup that, that we have between these two teams. As we get ready for Game 1 this weekend, uh, what's your excitement level for the 2023 Fall Classic? Yeah, it's pretty shocking the way it's all worked out. But, um, yeah, listen, nobody predicted this matchup. I think we can all appreciate that. I mean, I'm currently standing in uh, 81 degrees Fort Worth, Texas heat, which I was not anticipating to be doing. So, on a personal level, I'm just thrilled that uh, I'm with two warm-weather cities here in in Dallas and Phoenix. But, yeah, I think there's two ways of looking at it, right? On the one hand, you go, it's not the same without an East Coast market, without having the Yankees, the Mets, Red Sox, Phillies, et cetera. But I look at the other way, Peter, and say, hey, I like to have something different. And I love the unpredictability of it. As you are joking about, nobody had predicted Rangers and Diamondbacks, specifically Diamondbacks. I mean, the Rangers, at least, they were in first place for 138 of 139 days, um, games, excuse me. So, like, you know, they were a first place team for much of the year. Um, they just happened to falter in August, losing 16 of 20. But Arizona, I mean, there's not one person in the world who said this team is going to make the World Series. So the fact they're here right now playing with house money, it's obviously a a great story for the D-backs. And, again, I think as a baseball fan, just appreciate the unpredictability of it. And um, I thought Mad Dog Russo made a really good point. I was watching his show today, which he said that, you know, for people who say, hey, what's going to happen as far as the ratings, you know, Fox must be wanting to slip their wrists. The two biggest things to determine whether or not people watch are the length of the series and how competitive the games are. And he's right. You know, if you're a baseball fan, even if you're a casual sports fan, you'll watch the World Series, even though the Arizona Diamondbacks are not household names. If this series goes six or seven and it's one run, two run games, we'll have compelling series. I mean, my favorite World Series, non-Blue Jays, 91, Braves, Twins. If tomorrow I told you Atlanta, Minnesota World Series, you'd go, ugh. Meantime, that World Series is incredible. Every single game, one run, worst to first, it was awesome. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Also, the, this ratings talk, like, again, it's not the, the Yankees and the Dodgers or anything like that. Dallas-Fort Worth is pretty big, and Arizona also rather large. Like, it's not Providence against Des Moines in this World Series. You have a couple of relatively big markets going head-to-head in this. So oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm here right now, as I told you, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I just saw this story that we're a long ways away from this. I, I, you'll live longer than me, I'm sure. But it said by the year 2100, the amount of people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area in 77 years is going to be 33 million. I'm like, oh, my God. Like they said, New York City is 8.3 million. Los Angeles is 4.1. To repeat, Dallas-Fort Worth, they said only 33 million people. So like it's, it's a rapidly expanding place. Right now, I'm staring at Jerry's World, which, as you know, as an Eagles fan, I can't wait to uh, lift my middle finger to it. But it is an incredible structure to look at. But this is a very populated area, and they are great sports fans. You know, I – I still remember thinking, okay, yeah, Texas, they just like their football, whatever. No, no, these baseball crowds, and I'm going to get a first-hand look at it tomorrow for game one. I mean, they, they love their baseball, um, and they appreciate the sport. They've never won a World Series, so they feel like they're, they're long overdue for this moment, and they want to take advantage of it fully. And as far as Arizona, you're right. I, I don't know what would be the number one sport in the Arizona area. I guess Cardinals, I guess, just because, you know, football by default. The Suns had some great runs there with Nash and Amari, et cetera. But they love their D-packs too, man. They won the World Series 21 years ago, so I – I always have to think of it, your earliest sports memory is when you were five or six. 
you know, that's when you remember stuff. So I feel like if you're a 27-year-old Arizona Diamondbacks fan, this is the moment for them. Yeah, no, it's... I think it's going to be a, a whole lot of fun. And breaking this one down, I can't really wrap my uh, wrap my head around what's kind of separating these two. Because you look at like the pitching staffs, I kind of like Gallon and Kelly more than Montgomery and Eovaldi. But I liked Nola and Wheeler more than Kelly and Gallon in the, the NLCS lineup-wise. I think the Rangers have a better lineup, but I thought that about the Dodgers and the Phillies. So I I really don't see what separates these two teams in a way that you can really be like, oh, well, X, Y, and Z is different. So that's going to be the difference in this World Series. What do you view as maybe like an X factor in this series? Yeah, and I think that's part of it, too, is that when you look at the D-backs and the Rangers, they're both flawed teams. So that's why you can start to say to yourself, well, I don't think it's going to be a quick series because, you know, LeClerc has been great for them at times, but at the same time, he, he did give up a pivotal spot, you know, and, and the Rangers pitching after Montgomery and Duvall, who I think are going to be tremendous. You know, Scherzer's been terrible so far. I don't know what Haney, Dane Dinning will give them. So Texas certainly is flawed, uh, despite the fact they have a robust offense. Arizona, their offense can go quiet in a hurry. You know, if, if their top three guys are going, like Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte and Gabriel Moreno, then I think Arizona feels pretty good. But if they're unable to score those kind of runs, I think it could be a problem. So I you know, I think that, that helps the, I think the storyline of the dynamic that it's going to be a really good World Series is the fact that neither team is great. And when neither team is great, that means they both have a chance. And like I said, it should be competitive games and close games. And I don't want to be the, another guy to count against Arizona, but I think in every series, Pete, I would, have, I would have picked against them, right? Brewers, I just would have thought because they're pitching and Woodruff and Peralta and what they're capable of, that they take care of business and Burns. Nope. Dodgers, well, the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Nope. Swept them. And then the Phillies, I mean, to come back from 3-2 and going on the road to Philadelphia to win those games and all the talk is about how raucous this park is and they're unbeatable there and all their home runs. For Arizona to do that, I mean, listen, I'm picking against them. I'll still call Rangers in six, but I wouldn't be surprised at anything Arizona does at this point in time. Um, looking at both of these teams, uh, I guess on the, the Texas side, obviously the big names like Seager, Simeon, uh, where we talked about the pitchers and, and a couple of guys in the bullpen, but the, the one that has stood out is Adelise Garcia. And it's as a Blue Jays fan, I find it interesting that the Rangers have kind of come around on the whole excessive celebrating on home runs thing. Cause they seem to have a problem with it in 2015 and 16. Uh, but th- this has been quite the story. Uh, Adelise Garcia, uh, waived designated for assignment, basically sold to the team for a bag of balls. And now he's the most important hitter on this team. It's stories like that, that make these types of runs really great. Hey. Question. And you've got to have teams that have excitement and exciting players. And Garcia is that guy. I mean, you look at Texas overall, Peter and Seager's a great player, but he's fairly bland. You know, Simmons is a nice guy. I don't think he says a ton. Montgomery interviewed the other day. Again, wasn't giving me a whole lot of colorful answers, but nice guy. And I think Evaldi's very smart, very articulate. But if you're looking for your showman, if you're looking for your brassist, you're going to get that with Adolis Garcia. I, I think he's only a little bit taller than I am. And, you know, I'm short at 5'8". And he can hit the ball at 450 feet. And I just love the fact he's he just enjoys himself so much and enjoys his, his antics. I mean, hitting those home runs, admiring and staring at them, that's what the young generation likes. Quite frankly, I'm not young, and I like it too. I think it's fun to watch a player who – Loves a big moment and massive bat flips. And, you know, I don't think he necessarily should have gone head-to-head with Martin Maldonado. I don't think that was the right choice there. But I think he's fun for the game, and I think he's fun for the Rangers fans. And uh, he's definitely somebody you love him or hate him if you're watching the games. 
there was nothing I loved more than him staring down what ended up being a single off of the wall. Uh, I, I think in game seven, it was going to be a single anyway because he hit it a billion miles an hour off of the wall. But no, you're right. Like this is, th there was the talk about this, uh, I think a couple World Baseball Classics ago where all, all these people were celebrating, oh, the sanctity of the game. But no, man, g give me as many bat flips and whatever as you can. That, that kind of stuff is what I think can help, in a weird way, can help grow the sport, having a bit of personality in this thing. Oh, no question at all. I don't think it's weird at all. I'm with you completely. I think that, you know, in this era, you know, the TikTok generation, so to speak, it's not enough to simply be great at the job. It's, it's how you do it as well, right? It, I think we get bored by this routine excellence. It's got to be done with some flash and with some flair. And uh, it seems so long ago that that Tim Anderson bat flip was a, a controversial moment. People saying, why is he bat flipping this early in the year? No place for that kind of stuff. And they're like, no, 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 dude, this is awesome. And you're right to mention the World Baseball Classic because they – those players, you know, those Latin players play with such enthusiasm, and the game means so much to them. If you watch those crowds, whether it's a Dominican Republic game or Puerto Rico, I mean, it's tough not to get swept up in the excitement and to feel the infectious enthusiasm of it. So I'm with you. I'll take more Adoles Garcia and more bat puts all around. What about the the managers in this series? Uh, Bruce Bochy uh, now going to the World Series. I think it's the, the third time with a, a three different teams. Um, Tori Lavallo on the, the other side, maybe not necessarily a, a household name managerially, but you take a team that was 125 to one to win the World Series at the beginning of the year and get them to the World Series. I'm assuming you're doing something right. What do you make of the, the two bench bosses going into this series? Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think it's a great story. We'll start D-backs first. I mean, Lavallo, I haven't met him yet, but every time I see him in interviews, I think he's such a likable guy and so affable. And, uh, again, I don't know how many of your listeners are aware of this Mad Dog story. I'm sure you are. But, you know, Mad Dog Russo, longtime radio guy, colleague of mine here at MLB Network, great guy, by the way. He just said that there's no way the D-backs going to win. I've been calling against them, and if they, if they win game seven, I'll, I'll retire on the spot. And Lavallo has been great. They asked him at the press conference. said, no, I'm aware of it. I've told the team we're firing these guys up. And then afterwards, you know, the D-backs win. You got them chanting Mad Dog in the locker room afterwards. So, <laughs> Lavallo obviously has a great sense of humor about it. He said, he goes, oh, I told Mad Dog we're going to retire. All these brash New Yorkers, thinks he knows everything. So, uh, I think he's just got the right pulse of his team. And, you know, Arizona, for much of the year, Peter, was a pleasant surprise, especially in the first half. They were winning the division. And then L.A. kind of woke up and, and overtook them. But, but Arizona really did start the year strong. So, I don't think we should be that shocked that they'd be a playoff team. Again, it's shocking to me in the World Series, no doubt about it. But, they just happen to have coalesced at the right time. I mentioned those top three hitters. Zach Allen's great. He's a top five signing award pitcher this year. Uh, Merrill Kelly stepped up. And I really like their bullpen. You know, Ginkle's terrific. Kevin Ginkle, who, again, I mean, it sounds too close to Finkel's, and the Ace Ventura jokes come. Finkel is nine or nine hornets Finkel. But this Ginkle is, is locked down. And then Paul Sewell, who was the guy they acquired credit to Mike Hayes and the GM. They acquired him from Seattle. And he's really bolstered that bullpen. So it feels like a seven-inning game when Ginkle and Seawald are at their best. So I think Torrey deserves a lot of credit for managing that bullpen. Uh, and as far as Bruce Bochy is concerned, yeah, I mean, God, the guy's 68 years old. Doesn't look great when he's trotting out to the mound, but, God, he's, he's a Hall of Fame manager. I work with Jake Peavy, who is uh, Bochy's manager in San Francisco and San Diego, and he can't say enough good things about um, the kind of guy Bruce Bochy is and the pulse he has in the team. And, again, for them to be in this position, Peter, without Jacob deGrom is astounding to me. I mean, when they sign him, you go, okay, now they're serious. They're legit. And for him to go down, you go, well, they might have some success this year, but they're not going to go anywhere far, right? They might win a division, but without DeBron, forget it. And somehow they've done it. They made trades for Scherzer and Montgomery. And Scherzer, as I said, he was good in the regular season, has been bad in the playoffs. doesn't matter. Montgomery's looked like an ace. So, again, credit has to go to Chris Young, their GM, and, of course, Bruce Bochy for making these guys work because, you know, with that kind of pitching staff, 
You would have thought they'd be in trouble. And instead, they've proven, hey, with two great starters, you can figure things out. And that's what they've done. Evaldi's great. Montgomery's gone to being great. And then they just cobbled together enough outs from the likes of, as I said, Scherzer, Dunning, Haney. Um, and then they're bullpen, which is really a concern. I mean, they're, they're the first team to make the World Series that had more blown saves than actual saves. Think about that. But Jose Leclerc has stepped up as their closer. Chapman, you never know what you're going to get with him. Uh, Spores has been great. The rookie is a setup guy. So when, I, when you ask about managers, I inevitably I look at bullpen. I think a lot of that goes to managing the crap they get. And there's a reason why Bochy's always ran a very good bullpen, and, and Torrey's doing a good job with that as well. There's nothing that front offices like to do more than to copy what just worked. Um, we hear all the time, every sport is a copycat league. Um, when you look at these two teams in the World Series, is there a, a lesson that you can take from either of them, like from the Diamondbacks? I don't know, maybe dupe a team into giving you Gurriel and Moreno. Um, but is there a, a lesson that you can learn from, from these two teams that, that other teams like the Blue Jays can take from this and, and try to have the similar success next year? Like you're right about the fact that it was a heck of a trade by Mike Hazen. I mean, this is the Jays to go, listen, they have Alejandro Kirk, Danny Jansen, and Moreno. And the Moreno is the hot catching prospect. They say, well, we really like Kirk a lot. He then has an underwhelming season, and Jansen's good, be more of a backup, and Moreno's a star. I mean, he throws out guys at like a 50% ceiling rate. He has lots of home runs, hit third. So, like, he's absolute steal. And you mentioned Gurriel. He's an all-star. So, between both those guys, phenomenal trade by Mike Hazen. As far as the copycat league, you know, I, I just think Arizona's almost a year ahead of time. Like they're, they're building with a good collection of power and speed. Corbin Carroll's a 25-home run guy, 50 steals, but they're capable of so much more. And I think that's what, what they're seeing is that these players that come up, they're really good right now, but they're going to be superstars. When you look at Carroll, Marte, and Christian Walker, I've mentioned, this guy is the most underrated player in the sport. He hits 30 home runs, 100 behind the regular season. Nobody even knows who he is. Um, so I don't know what their blueprint is, but I think they've drafted well and they've signed well. And Texas blueprint is pretty straightforward. Well, honestly, they spent a lot of money. Uh, but if you can spend money wisely, that's the key, right? Like, they're fourth in payroll. Um, but the top three teams ahead of them didn't make the playoffs. Yankees, Mets, and Padres. So they increased payroll this year from $150 million to $250 million. That's a lot of money. But they did it the right way. They paid a half a billion dollars for Seager and Simeon, but they've got their up-the-middle defense locked up for the next 10 years. They drafted well with guys like Jonah Heim and Mitch Garver. Josh Young is in the Rookie of the Year conversation. And then, as I mentioned, the pitching. DeGrom goes down. Let's go get a starter. You know what? Let's go get two starters. So they can go get Scherzer and Montgomery and bolster that area. So I think that they've been decisive when things have fallen apart a little bit. That's part of being a successful franchise. And credit to Chris Young in that regard. Okay, I have to rant about the, the Gurriel-Moreno trade. I know it, it's been legislated to death, but you, you look at Gurriel and Moreno in, in the, this postseason, they kind of did exactly what the Blue Jays needed in the postseason. Like, just, hey, one big hit, that would be great. Um, I don't know if it's like the worst trade in Blue Jays history because they traded David Wells for a guy who never pitched for them, but uh, that has to be one that you look at as, I don't want to say turning point for the franchise for Arizona because Gurriel could be gone for a year, but that is a, a real difference-making type of a move for the Diamondbacks, hey? Oh, no question about it. And again, from the Blue Jays' perspective, I get they needed a left-handed bat. Dalton Barsho plays hard, and he's tremendous defensively. By defensive run saved, he's one of the best outfielders in baseball. But quite simply, he just didn't hit this year for Toronto. I mean, you're hitting 220. That's not going to cut it. I think his OPS plus is around 90. So he clearly was a disappointment. Now, there's time to turn around, I hope. But for Arizona to get Gurriel and an all-star and Moreno, who could be an all-star for years to come, that's just a fabulous trade. It really is. There's no question about it. And you're right. May not be the worst in Jays history, but it looks pretty bad right now. Now, what can turn it around is if Kirk has a bounce back season and Jansen plays well, then at least they'll solidify the catcher position. You say, well, you have to give up from a position of strength. The Jays have three catchers. They weren't going to use all those guys. 
somebody had to get dealt. Maybe Moreno shouldn't have been the guy, but regardless, you deal one of those guys for something. But obviously, if Varsho hits a lot better, the trade doesn't look nearly as worse. Instead, because he was so disappointing, that trade's a real eyesore. Um, just a, a couple more baseball-wise. Uh, it, it sound, the, the rumor that everyone knew was coming, the Yankees are going to try to, to pry away Juan Soto from the, the San Diego Padres. I would imagine we see a lot of big rumors like that this offseason, right? With the, the Dodgers falling on their face, uh, the, the Braves doing the same, the Yankees having their worst season since 1992. Th- those are not franchises that lose very well. I would imagine we see some aggressive moves this offseason. Do you think this is going to be, even with like even if you just cast aside Shohei's a free agent, do you think we're going to see some big moves this offseason in baseball? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's going to be nothing bigger than the Shohei Otani, and I don't know what's going to happen. I still think, you know, ultimately, it's going to be a situation where he's going to wind up with the Dodgers. It just makes too much sense that not to happen. But beyond that, I mean, there, there's always a lot of moves. What happens with baseball, which is always so much fun, is even when things look predictable, something unpredictable happens, which is why it's Rangers, D-backs, in the World Series. So, yeah, offseason-wise, um, I haven't dug in yet. Obviously, I'm, I'm focused on the World Series right now, but I, I think it's going to be a situation where, Otani goes probably to the Dodgers, but then other teams will try to make moves as well. I mean, San Francisco is a team that has to make a move. They've got to get a big name. They've tried the last couple of years. They've just been unsuccessful in trying to get Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa. So I would think they're going to move heaven and earth to try to sign Otani. But for now, for me at least, it's the Dodgers. And, and the Angels, I think, have accepted that too. It's, uh, we talked about the Jays and a bad trade it was. I mean, that's an incredible sign by the Angels. Otani, one of the greatest free agents ever. And ultimately, he's probably going to be staying in L.A., I think, but just going to the Dodgers. Uh, and just quickly, in the, the world of football, you mentioned uh, an Eagles fan. They a very good win against the, the Miami Dolphins last week. Not the stiffest of competition against the Commanders. Uh, Philadelphia 6-1, and one, and it, it seems like they still haven't quite figured out how to maximize everything. Feels like they're in a scary good spot right now. You have to be feeling pretty good as an Eagles fan going into Week 8. Uh, yeah, I think when you look at this Eagles team right now, um, you look at the situation and say to yourself, they are a team that hasn't played at their best yet, but they clearly are capable of doing so. And I think that's why, you know, when you look at this team, you say to yourself, you know, Jalen Hurts is, is still a great quarterback. And I thought that game against Miami, specifically what they did, you know, mid-fourth quarter, big drive, just, just take advantage of what the team has given you. That, to me, is what happens to a championship caliber team. Now, Hertz's issue has been turning the ball over too much. It's been really shocking. I had tickets, sadly, to that Jets-Eagles game, and I went and had to throw with my son and watch Jalen Hurts throw pick after pick, and they squandered a golden opportunity. Otherwise, they'd still be unbeaten. So I, that, to me, was an example where I'm like, okay, this Eagles team is not clicking at their best when Hurts is turning it over like that. But he's also run the ball too much. I mean, I think they're, they're averaging like 10 rushing attempts per game, so it's, it's a little too much for me as far as what they're utilizing him. But the reason why they are 6-1, and one, Peter, is their defensive line is outstanding. I mean, it's just old-school football. If you just build your offensive line with such great studs, and for years we've known about Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, but now you're adding in Jalen Carter, who could be defensive rookie of the year. Like, Josh Sweat is fantastic. I mean, they just roll four strong at you no matter what. Um, and then secondary-wise, Jerry Slay is a great cornerback, as is James Bradbury. They just made a trade for Byard, who's a two-time Pro Bowl safety. So I really think Philly's defense is strong. And what they did against Miami's offense, all this talk was around the shiny Corvette that is Miami. And then the Eagles completely shut them down. I mean, one offensive touchdown, are you kidding me? Like, the one touchdown was a Hurts pick six. Other than that, it was all their defense shutting down Tua and Tyreek Hill and all these shiny toys. So that, to me, was really a strong statement by that Eagles defense, especially because they didn't run the ball. They actually ran for under 100 yards rushing, which normally because of their offensive line, 
Jason Kelsey and uh, Lane Johnson, you said the Eagles kind of asserting themselves. So it's really been interesting. I agree with you. The Eagles have been a really good team, and they are championship caliber team. They still haven't played their best. And, again, I say that as an Eagles fan, and I think that should be worrisome for everybody else. They haven't played their best, and they're still 6-1. and one. Um, that's, I think that's a concern for the rest of the league. Uh, and lastly, well, what's going on with the, the Cinephile oh, podcast? One more. Nope. I, I, have to mention, I have to mention A.J. Brown, by the way. I, I don't know how I could talk to Eagles. He's had, he's had like five straight games of 125 or more yards rushing. He's been sensational for them. And I think that specifically he's got more yards receiving than all the Titans receivers combined. Jeez. Think about that statement. Like, I don't, know, I don't know why or how, Peter, they decide not to sign A.J. Brown. He's 26 years old. And for me, he's been the best receiver in football. Go ahead. Yeah, I think we're going to look back. On, I know we have to, to get going, but I, we're going to look back on that and the, the NFL just letting Jalen Carter go to the, the Eagles. And 30 years from now, people are going to look. It's like, are you, were you guys trying to let them win? What was going on there? Yeah, I, it's true, man. One of the things the Eagles have done is, as far as their draft is concerned, it's just focusing on Georgia, right? They focus on those players and those teams and, Sometimes that's how you build successful franchises is you look at winning teams and winning schools, and that's kind of what they've done, man, as far as their draft is concerned. So, Harry Roseman's done a great job. Uh, all right, the Cinephile Podcast. Well, what's going on with that? What do you guys got coming up? Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Everyone should check out that pod we did last week, a full review of the movie, in addition to interviews with Jack Fist, the production designer, Ellen Lewis, the costume, uh, excuse me, casting director. She's worked with Scorsese for a lot of movies. Goodfellas, Casino, Wolf of Wall Street, The Irishman, among them. So check out the pod. Colors of the Fire Moon is the best picture of the year. And you know what I think of Marty. Uh, Adnan, I could do this forever, man. Uh, happy to chat with you again. Enjoy the World Series and we'll chat again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Peter. I appreciate the time. Thank you. There is Adnan Verk, uh, MLB Network, NHL Network, the Cinephile podcast. He used to do play-by-play for professional wrestling. Um, he's covered boxing and the Masters. Uh, talk some NFL with him as well. The dude can do it. All. All right. That is going to do it for Sportsnet today. Uh, today. My name is Peter Klein. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I am at Primetime Klein. Coming up tonight, it is the Calgary Flames taking on the St. Louis Blues. It is a six o'clock pregame, seven o'clock puck drop with Wilsey and Megan Mickelson. We got you covered up on here. Hopefully it's a Flames bounce back tonight as they take on a Blues team that's lost two of their last three and three of their last five. But no matter what happens, we'll break it all down back here tomorrow on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.